What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. One voice cried that out. Another voice said, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. And one voice cries out, return to me and I will return to you. And another voice cries out, consider your ways. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways, says the Lord of hosts. Two competing voices prophesying the same thing. And the people living in Jerusalem kept hearing these two men preach and prophesy these words over and over again, one for about five months, one for at least two years. Return to me, consider your ways. Return to me, consider your ways. I can imagine the returned exiles in Jerusalem were starting to get a little annoyed by these prophets who kept hounding him with this message. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways, says the Lord of hosts. Now, these two men, they were prophets called by God and for a very special purpose. And that special purpose was to wake the people of Jerusalem up. Now, who were these two men who were prophesying these things? Well, the person who was prophesying, return to me and I will return to you. That was a prophet named Zechariah. And another prophet who was saying, consider your ways. That was the prophet Haggai. Now, the people of Jerusalem were the Jews who had returned under Zerubbabel and Joshua to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. 
They had departed from Babylon with the approval of King Cyrus, and they had made the long, arduous trek from Babylon all the way up the Fertile Crescent and all the way back down into Israel and the Promised Land, finally reaching their destination, Jerusalem. And the first thing the returning people did was to build an altar and worship God. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua had encouraged the people to start rebuilding the temple. And then they laid a foundation and the people shouted for joy. They laid a foundation and some people wept from grief after they stopped and remembered how beautiful the old temple used to look. But they started, whether weeping or joyous, whether happy or sad, they had started. And now they needed to continue building the temple. They had to excavate stone from the quarry. They had to shape it and drag it into place. The movement of stone from quarry to placement would have taken a lot of manpower and the use of a lot of the best heavy moving equipment and technology of the day, right? But the cool thing was, in the middle of all this moving stuff and shaping stuff, it was working. People were working. The temple was being rebuilt. But that's when the opposition started. You know, I think at first it was a rock hitting someone upside the head at around four in the afternoon. And then another rock was thrown and then another. And soon the whole area was full of rocks. And then I can imagine that occurs every afternoon at four o'clock. The people of the land start throwing rocks. Now, again, I don't know if they did that, but that's what I would have done. Or, or, or maybe I would have begun some name calling. Hey, fatty, how's the work going? Hey, aren't you too stupid to swing a hammer? You don't even know what you're doing. Only absolute losers use DeWalt. You know, you'd be using Milwaukee if you were a true temple builder. Nobody uses the yellow stuff. DeWalt, nope. That's what I would have done. Or chucked rocks at four in the afternoon. Now, I don't know exactly the tactics All it says in Ezra is that the surrounding tribes, the people of the land, did their best to discourage the returned Jewish people in their work. For me to discourage them, you call them names and you chuck rocks at four or you chuck rocks at two in the morning or you tip over stuff. You try to do what you can to discourage the work. Mock them while they worked. Ezra says that they even tried to work for them. They tried to infiltrate their ranks with the goal of slowing them down and plugging their DeWalt thing so it wouldn't charge correctly or whatever. But they tried to slow them down. They maybe worked slow or or all of a sudden this thing fell apart that was working great before and the people who are already there, they were mad at the Jews that were returning. They wanted the land for themselves. They didn't care about who had promised the land to them. They didn't care that to the Jewish people this was their promised land that God had given to them. No, the people of the land that were there that had taken it over while the Jewish people were in exile had come to occupy the land. Now it's their land and they had claimed it. And these Jews needed to get out of here and go back to Babylon where they came from. So they threatened them and and did what they could to discourage the work. But guess what? According to Ezra, it didn't work. 
It didn't work because Zerubbabel and his men kept right on working because God was with them. This is going great, and if God is with you, who can stand against you? Well, the government can. Or or maybe an overzealous local government official named Rehum and a scribe named Shimshai. That's who could stand against God and his work. And if you remember last time, Rehum and Shimshai wrote a letter to the Babylonian government pointing out the threat Israel represented and the high probability that once formed this new Israeli government would rebel. They wrote this long letter to the king explaining the trouble that Israel was going to cause if they were allowed to rebuild the temple. And guess what? This letter worked. The people of Israel had to stop building the temple while they waited, number one, for a reply from King Artaxerxes, and then number two, once they got the answer, which was, stop, you're right, we can't trust them, the answer was not in their favor. They were told to stop and to stop building with immediate effect. Stop! So Rehum and Shimshai had done what no other tactic could do up to this point. They had forced the Jewish people, to stop building. And so guess what? They stopped. And they didn't pick up a chisel or a stone for another 15 plus years. Think about that. That's a long time to stop. And you wonder, what did Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the people do for 15 plus years? Well, it seems according to the books of Haggai and Zechariah and Ezra that a lot of the people, they just got fat and rich. During those 15 years, they built houses and they started businesses. And I think they began to even intermarry with some of the people of the land. And they built homes in the existing communities. They became merchants and useful members of the community. I mean, this sounds great, right? That's not bad. I mean, we are supposed to grow where we've been planted. God, earlier, had encouraged his people to do good and to bless the communities and countries they found themselves in. It says in the book of Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Jeremiah 29. I mean, that's a command of God. There's nothing wrong in starting a business and working hard to produce something to bless the people in the city around you. God even commands it here, right? But there's something else going on here. See, the people had become discouraged in the work. And now they had been forcibly stopped by government bureaucracy. And then they became discouraged when they thought about all the hostility they were facing. Think about it. They were a small group of foreigners in a land populated by people groups much bigger than them. I mean, not so much in size in terms of height, you know, they weren't bigger in that way, but they were bigger than them in just sheer numbers. And the tribes that were surrounding them were hostile and threatening. And remember, according to my story, they threw rocks at them at four in the afternoon every single day they worked on that temple. The returning Jewish people 
if they continued building on this temple, it was going to be hard work and frightening. It was going to be scary for them, surrounded by people who hated them. And I think some of them got tired of their constant stress, and they actually preferred making some money on the side. And so when Zerubbabel, their leader, told them to stop and their other leader, Joshua, concurred, guess what? Many were happy to stop. So, you've been stopped by the government. You're tired from trying to run a business during the day and build a temple at night. And quite frankly, you are scared of the surrounding people and what they might do to you if you do try to continue to build. So you don't mind stopping for a bit. And then that bit turns into a year. And then those years turn into years and years and years. Until 15 years later, you've made no progress at all. I mean, you walk past the foundations every day on your way to work, sometimes even stop and you look and you ponder what it could have been and how glorious it might have looked, this new temple. And, and, and you've even been to the Starbucks that's opened in its place a couple of times. You know, somebody's going to open a Starbucks on this foundation that, hey, we spent a lot of time building that. That's a great place to start a Starbucks. Well, you stop there, get a coffee or two. Deep down, I think these people weren't happy. They knew they should have kept working. They knew they should have kept rebuilding the temple. I mean, that's why they came back, right? But then you stop thinking about it, and life gets busy, and you have to get to work, open up your bagel shop before the breakfast crowd rushes in. And so 15 years later, the temple sits. Undone, incomplete, a job not even half done. And that's when you hear these two prophets. Return to me and I will return to you. Consider your ways. You know, on your way to open your bagel shop every morning, you start to bump into these two men. Not only that, these two men call themselves prophets of Yahweh. And one is named Haggai. And the other, Zechariah. Now, Haggai only prophesied for five months, from August through December of the year 520. And Zechariah, on the other hand, he prophesied for two and a half years, starting in the year 520. These prophets were called to shake things up. They were called by God to wake the people up. Haggai's basic message was for the people of Israel to repent. They'd gotten fat and happy and maybe even a little greedy. And while enjoying the blessings of living back in the promised land and getting rich off of the profits they were making, they had completely forgotten God. One of the main reasons the people returned to the promised land was to rebuild the temple. And that is one of the main reasons King Cyrus gave the decree to let the people return to rebuild the temple. But now, 15 years later, it wasn't even close to being done. Haggai hit it on the head when he accused the Jewish people who had returned he said, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, he's referring to the temple, while this house lies in ruins? Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. 
That's Ezra chapter 1, verses 4 and 9. And Zechariah, he follows it up. You know, kind of like a one-two punch of prophecy. But Zechariah, he sort of doesn't really tell him off. Now he's trying to encourage him to return to God. To return to God and God will return to them. And so Haggai preached and prophesied, like I said, for five months. And Zechariah continues to press and encourage and prophesy for up to two and a half years. And at first, the people, I think, ignored them. But soon, God began to move. And they began to listen. And Zerubbabel and Joshua, in particular, were the first to listen and to return. Now, remember, Zerubbabel, the prince of Judah, had led them back with the intent to rebuild the temple. He was the leader. Now, I wonder what he had been doing for the past 15 years. Or Joshua, the high priest, a descendant of Aaron. And Zerubbabel, by the way, is a descendant of David. And what had Joshua been doing for the past 15 years? Had Zerubbabel and Joshua been encouraging the people to start rebuilding? Had they been working tirelessly? Had they been trying to persuade the people to keep on building the temple? They made t-shirts. They started slogans. Or... Had they also decided to stop and just enjoy the land, build a business, start a new life? I don't know. But I do know that they were the first to take up the call to rebuild. And so Zerubbabel and Joshua began the work again. They began to rebuild the temple. They got the old team back together. They got a bricklayer, a quarry master, an architect, a foreman, whatever it took to start the project once again, and they built a wall, a doorway, another wall, and so on. They refurbished the foundation they had started 15 years earlier. They're moving forward once again. Hooray! Everything is great! But then come the discouragers. The people who had tried to stop the building last time, never left. They were still there, and they were still hostile to the work of God being completed. They did not want that temple built. So when Zerubbabel and Joshua started to build again, some of their officials showed up and asked them, Why are you building, and did you get approval to do that? Now, the officials' names were Titania, And the other official's name was Shethar Bozenai. I'm just going to call him Titania and Shethar. And they told Zerubbabel and Joshua to stop the work because they had no right to start working again. King Artaxerxes had stopped the work last time, so who gave them the right to start working again this time? You must stop until we get this all worked out. But guess what? Zerubbabel and Joshua... Encouraged by the preaching of Zechariah and Haggai, they kept right on working. They boldly went forward. What was the difference? Why didn't they stop this time? Well, the Bible makes it clear why. 
It says in Ezra 5, 5, but God was watching over the Jewish elders. These men wouldn't stop. Ezra 5, 5. God was working through them and God was working in their hearts and God was working through the preaching of Zechariah and Haggai and he's working in the souls and the hearts of these men. God is working and the men basically told Titania and Shethar, We're going to keep working until we get notice from the top that we have to stop. Well, between the original group returning to Israel and the restart on the build, over 15 years had passed, maybe even 17 years at this point. And by this time, King Cyrus, who had given the original decree, had died. And then two other kings reigned briefly as king of Babylon. But now it's a king called Darius, who has the throne. He is the ruler of Babylon, King Darius. So Titania writes a letter to King Darius. And it goes like this. He says, all greetings. Let it be known to the king that we went to the house of the great God in the province of Judah. It is being built with cut stones and its beams are being set in the walls. This work is being done diligently and succeeding through the people's efforts. So we questioned the elders and asked, Who gave you the order to rebuild this temple and finish this structure? We also asked them for their names so that we could write down the names of their leaders for your information. This is the reply they gave us. So Titania writes down the reply that the Jewish elders gave them when they questioned them. The Jewish elders said this, We are the servants of the God of the heavens and earth, and we were rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But since our ancestors angered the God of the heavens, he handed them over to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of King Cyrus of Babylon, he issued a decree to rebuild the house of God. He also took from the temple in Babylon the gold and silver articles of God's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and carried them to the temple in Babylon. He released them from the temple in Babylon to a man named Sheshbazar, which many people think is basically another term for Zerubbabel. And so this letter goes on to say that Cyrus said we can rebuild and that we can take these artifacts that were given us from the Babylonian temple and put them in our temple. And Titania is like, is this true? And he ends the letter like this. So, if it pleases the king, let a search of the royal archives in Babylon be conducted to see if it is true that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. Let the king's decision regarding this matter be sent to us. And Titania, he's thinking, there's no way King Cyrus wants this temple rebuilt. He doesn't trust you guys. You guys always end up in trouble. And he's not going to give you artifacts from his temple. There is absolutely no way. So he writes this letter in full hope that nothing is going to work out for the Jewish people. Well, Darius gets the letter. And he begins a search for this decree by King Cyrus. Now, you would think there would be a central holding for decrees by the king, some sort of mighty king of Persia, Babylon, decree holding bureau of decrees center. But for some reason, they couldn't find the decree at first. 
and it was not where it should have been. It wasn't at the mighty king of Persia, Babylon Decree, holding Bureau of Decree Center. It wasn't even at the archives of the mighty king of Persia, Babylon Decree, holding Bureau of Decree Center. I mean, where was it? Well, I can imagine one of Darius's librarians. He noticed that according to Cyrus's day planner, which they probably had on display somewhere, you know, how some of those museums have the weirdest stuff. Well, they probably had a museum of the weird stuff of King Cyrus. And look, here's his day planner. Well, one of the librarians probably found Cyrus's day planner, and he noticed that on the week that Cyrus gave that decree about the Jews returning, he was on summer vacay at his summer palace in a town called Ekbatana, 300 miles northeast of Babylon. So, they all go there. Guess what? They found it. They found a copy of the official decree. They found it. And not only that, they found that it had three important details. Number one. The temple was supposed to be 90 feet high and 90 feet wide. Now that's huge. It means if built to those dimensions, the temple would have been twice as high and three times as wide as Solomon's original temple. It'd basically be six times larger than Solomon's. Number two, the financing was to come from the royal treasury. And number three, the Jews were right. The return temple artifacts from the Babylonian temple were to be placed in the new rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. I mean, this was wonderful news for the Jewish people. This was wonderful news for Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the people working on the rebuilt temple. Not only were they supposed to carry on building, not only were they supposed to build something massive and huge, the whole thing was to be financed by the Babylonians. So King Darius, to fulfill the decree, gave three instructions to Titania and the other dude. He says this, number one, leave the Jewish people alone. Don't harass them. Let them build the temple. Number two, tax money the tax money in that area, not all of it, but a certain percentage of it is to be used to help the Jewish people to rebuild the temple and to get animals to be given to them to help them do the daily sacrifices they're supposed to give. And then finally, number three, and I think probably the one that they cheered about the most, number three, if anyone tries to stop this rebuilding of the temple, or if anyone tries to hurt the Jewish people, they are to be impaled. Now, here's the interesting thing. They weren't even just supposed to be impaled. What happened was the decree went like this. Darius says, if somebody tries to stop them, if somebody tries to make a big problem, if somebody kills one of them, go destroy their house. Then take one of the large beams from the house, stick it up in the air, and impale that person on that beam. Wow. You know, I can imagine the look on Governor Tatiana's face when he read this letter from Darius. 
You know, he, he probably slapped his forehead. Not only did he need to let them continue building, but he had to finance it from his own taxes and all under the threat of death and a curse. Darius ended his letter with a curse on anybody who would knock over this temple once built. And by the way, that curse sort of came true. Antiochus Epiphanes, later on, he desecrates the temple and tries to knock a lot of it down. And guess what? He died insane three years later. Herod the Great, same thing, tried to make the temple something it was not, tried to make it all about Herod and glorify himself, and he had so many domestic troubles and he dies of a disease. Many people think these are proofs that this curse by King Cyrus got allowed to carry on because that's how important the rebuilding of this temple was. Well, after restarting the building project, Remember, they started it, and then they stopped for 15, 16, 17 years, and now they're starting it again. Well, they started it again, and about two years later, the temple was finally completed. In February, March of 515, 21 and a half years after it was started, and four and a half years after Haggai started preaching. So remember, it started in 536, and 21 and a half years later, finally, in 515 BC, the second temple is done. They did it. The temple was completed. You know, and I think in many ways, one of the beautiful things is that the story plays out this truth that if you trust God, if you make his priorities, building the temple, your priorities, completing building the temple, and if you live by faith in God's promise to be with you through it all, man, you can accomplish anything. Let me repeat, the truth we can learn from this is that no matter what difficulty we're facing, no matter what great obstacle we feel like we started something, and man, I just don't know if I could finish it. I don't know if you're in the middle of a building project. I don't know if you're in the middle of something you're trying to do. You feel like God's called you to it, but you are facing setback and discouragers. I just want to encourage you. The truth from Haggai, Zechariah, and the book of Ezra is this. Trust in God. Make his priorities your priorities. Live by faith in God's promise to be with you through it all. Trust in God. Make his priorities your priorities. And then live by faith in the promises of God that he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is with you. If you return to him, he will return to you. Trust in God, make his priorities your priorities, and live by faith in the promises of God that he will be with you. If we do that, I'm telling you, we can accomplish anything. Thank you for listening to Bald Head Bible Podcast. 
If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.